Can I share just one story really quick? When I got involved in community in the video gaming scene, it's in the competitive video gaming scene, or what we call today as esports. And back then, this was around you know 2001, 2002, all of us thought that esports was going to be huge in a couple of years' time. We thought it was going to overtake the Olympics. We thought it was going to be huge. And it didn't quite happen. Um, what happened instead was that over a period of many years, it gradually got bigger and bigger and bigger under the radar. And I think community is kind of the same where it's going to gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger. And whereas esports today, they have sold out events. I mean, it's monumentally huge. It's almost as big as a lot of, of professional sports. I think community is going to get that same level of acceptance, you know, similar to email marketing or one of the other big channels we have. It's going to grow steadily and it's going to get more improvement. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get better. And it's a process of us delivering those results. And that's what I think the philosophy we need going forward is. Because I think community is so valuable to so many organizations and we just need to make sure we're delivering on the promises of a community. Welcome to The Connectors, a podcast about the people who are building and managing innovative ecosystems worldwide. The exponential growth and demand for innovation from all kinds of players in the global tech world has created new and diverse versions of ecosystems. On the podcast, we will interview different ecosystem managers to learn about their work, find out how they measure their impact, and their ways to generate value for the different stakeholders they work with. We'll explore how they maximize collaborations and hear about their challenges through stories from their day-to-day -day life, and of course, some insights for the future. My name is Inbal Perlman. I'm the community manager of Google for Startups Campus in Israel, and with me is Nitsan Gal, CEO and co-founder of Click. So we are super thrilled for today's guest. Until now, we talked a lot about tech communities and ecosystems. And in this episode, we're actually going to expand the conversation and speaking about how tech companies today, general corporates around the world build communities. And to do that, we have an extremely special guest, Richard. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Joining all the way from London. Definitely less humid than Tel Aviv. What's going on over there? Um, if you like the color gray, but in the sky, that's going to last for the rest <laughs> of your life, then yeah, you'll love it here. Sounds uh, exciting. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Richard, he has spent the last decade helping 250 plus companies develop some of the world's largest online communities. And he's the founder of Feverbee. It's an international community consultancy. And he's also the author of Buzzing Community, which is a fantastic book, which we're going to dive into soon. And Richard's clients have actually included companies like Google and Facebook, Oracle, Wikipedia, Greenpeace, many, many others. And prior to Feverbee, he actually entered with Seth Godin in New York. So we have a lot to cover. And before we start, we just, you know, set a really fancy bio, but we would like to get to know you just, you know, beyond the, the bio part. If you can share a few words about yourself today and tell us about your background a little bit. Yeah, sure. I'll do it quite quickly. For me, I got involved in online communities at a very young age, around the age of 14 and 15 in the video gaming space. And at some point when I first began doing work in marketing, I realized that all the lessons that we had learned developing online communities in this very niche or niche space could be applied outside of that. And I'm so fascinated about what makes people 
connect with one another. I'm so fascinated what about what makes people talk. I'm so fascinated about that moment when you feel like there's this incredibly strong connection. And so I've been trying to figure out how you can replicate that, how you can imbue almost any group of individuals with that sense of feeling really strongly connected with one another. So it's, it feels like a code or a puzzle and you have to crack the code or you have to solve the puzzle. But once you do, the end result is incredible. So that's probably what drives me more than anything else. Feeling that very strong sense of connection is great. Building a business is really exciting, but most of all, it's that feeling of getting people to connect in a very authentic way, exchange information, and really feel that the community benefits as a whole from the work you're doing. So it's incredibly exciting work to be doing, and it's an incredibly exciting time to be doing it. Definitely. Yes. You're saying that you have been building communities from a really young age, but then the market, I think, is only growing in the last few years. When was the tipping point to your opinion that the market started to talk about communities and suddenly like all these big names that you're working with understood that they need a community and they want to build something like that? I think the market's been fluctuating a lot. So back, say, 10 years ago, there were some companies doing an amazing job building online communities. I mean, um, Autodesk had an amazing online community at that time. Uh, Oracle had an amazing online community. A lot of tech companies had user groups that had some in level of participation with the um, brand. So there were lots of different kinds of communities that were growing up around um, that time. And I think when social media came along, for some organizations, that was the biggest win they've ever had. They could take the work they're doing and multiply it almost exponentially. For other kinds of organizations um, that were relying on kind of forum-based communities or mailing lists, it almost completely destroyed what they had because they couldn't adopt to the new way. And so there's been a lot of turbulence over the last year. But I think what's come out of the last decade of progress that we've been doing is a lot of companies have a much better understanding of the value of community. A lot of organizations are much more committed to the idea that, okay, we can't track every single penny when it comes into community. But we just know that having these people creating documentation for us, creating resources for us, answering each other's questions are such an incredibly valuable thing to have and to encourage. And if you look at what organizations like um, SAP are doing, when they are developing, they've got developer groups, they've got admin groups, they've got end user groups. It's, it's an incredibly exciting space to be in. It's an incredibly exciting thing to have all that value in a, in a place that you can influence Maybe you can't directly control it, but to have that level of influence. So I think what's changed isn't so much the tools and technology, although they change every single day, but the change is the understanding of what this could be, the willingness to give up a little bit more control perhaps, and then to really invest in the areas where it's going to really make a difference. So there's never one single point, but there's definitely an evolution along all that journey. I really love your excitement. It's getting me excited and we're not even in the same room. It's like a playground. In a lot of different ways, you can constantly invent new things and talk to people and it's fun. I'm feeling you know what's funny about that? I feel to be doing this kind of work, you have to be passionate about it because the highs are really high, but the lows are really low as well. I mean, this, I've got so many stories of like some random thing that a member did and you're like, oh, I can't believe that happened. You know, um, I had one client that had a ideation platform where members can suggest ideas that they want the client to use. And then people can vote on which ideas they like best being pretty standard. I mean, Lego and other organizations have been doing it for a long time. And we had this amazing win where one of these ideas became part of the product. And then the member turned around and said, you know what? I want royalties for that idea. 
And all of a sudden you're like, wow, that's gonna, that's a whole quagmire of legal issues and all those kind of things. So to do this kind of work, to do community work, you've got to be passionate about it because it's a passion that gets you through the lows because there's so many difficulties. Members can be quite challenging. Members can um, often upset if they don't get what they want and you need that passion to take you through it. Otherwise, this definitely isn't the kind of work to just pick up the paycheck. I think we talked about even previously within Bal about the fact that community managers, ecosystem managers, a lot of the time are entrepreneurs. They need to build something new that doesn't exist. So I think that comes back to what you said right now. And I totally agree with that. And actually following up on what Nitsan said, we're dealing here with some different terms, right? So communities, ecosystems. And before we, we dive in, I'd like to ask you, because in your book, actually Buzzing Communities, you really cut through a lot of the fluff to offer a clear process for creating online communities, but you also refer to ecosystems. And you have this quote there that says, every online community lives within an ecosystem. Even a community that defines its ecosystem is still encompassed within it. How do you perceive the connection between communities and ecosystems, ecosystem managers versus community managers? Because I think it's important to clear the, the surface a little bit as we, we move forward. Sure. So the terminology that makes sense to me is a community is something usually that you either host or is about you in some way. Often the brand starts that community um, and they have a lot of control and influence over that. The ecosystem is the broader network of influencers, of companies, of connections and networks in almost every field. I mean, if you look at where you folks are, I'm sure there's, you know, local communities for startup professionals, uh, entrepreneurs and all that. But that's not the only community in, in the game. There's probably related communities and connections and organizations that support and sponsor those groups. So the ecosystem to me is that broader network of connections are there. And the community is usually just one part of that. Now, it can be a big part of that. A lot of things can live within what we call the community, but it's one part of the broader ecosystems out there. So when I'm referring to the manager of that community, I'm usually referring to one of two types of individuals. The first is someone that is paid by an organization to manage that community. It's a job for them. It's their profession. The other type of person is someone that has chosen to do it, even without pay. You've I mean, I have friends that run communities for people, um, for climbers, for people that collect coins. I mean, there's like a whole variety of amateurs that are doing this for passion. But people that have stepped forward to run a community within that space. The ecosystem manager isn't really a term I would use, but I think it's more of a advocate within that ecosystem, more of an advocate that helps build connections, that helps advocate for the brand or a topic within that uh, ecosystem. So that's the terminology I would use. I, we can use whatever you want to use here. I want to meet your friend who collects coins and has a community. Uh, you know what? You should look him up. He's, he runs a community called Coin Talk. I never met people so passionate. I wish I could be as passionate about something in my life as they are about coins because, wow, they really love those coins. Okay, I just came up with something. A coin system. <laughs> Let's continue. So we are in a world today where companies understand, as you said, that there's a need to bring outside help. You know, not all the resources are always inside. And you've had the chance to work with several international companies. And we'd like to know, how does that process look like? Who calls you? <laughs> Who tells you, Richard, come, we need you. And what does it look like? And 
What does it entail? Yeah, it varies a lot by the people who contact me. Um, Typically, if I'm looking at the last, say, five or six clients I've had, um, it's director of marketing, director of customer service, sometimes like VP client kind of level. Very rarely a CEO, but that's quite rare. Usually it's VP or director of marketing. If it's an internal online community for employees, then it might be someone related to HR in some way. Um, but usually, yeah, director of marketing, director of customer support. Um, that's the usual level of people that initiate that kind of activity. When they contact me, it's usually because one of two things is happening. The first is that they are about to launch a community and they are aware that launching a community is fantastic, but it's also like, if you haven't done it before, it's like walking through a minefield with a blindfold on, where you don't know all of the issues that can arise. You don't even know what direction you have to go in at times. And there are so many things that you can step on that can blow up if you're not careful. That's one thing. The other reason is when they've stepped on one of those banks or they've tried to launch a community and very often it's not working out. They're not getting the level of engagement that they want. It's not reaching the um, levels of success that they want. And they want to learn what they don't know. They want to put in place a process. They want to have a strategy. And far too often, most of the organizations that are developing a community today don't have any strategy whatsoever. So today, the person running that community will come in and do what they did yesterday. And then yesterday, they would have done what they did the day before. They're not proactively developing the community. They're just sustaining where that community is today. And that is such a shame. It means that their community is never really achieving its full potential. So what me or someone like me will do is work with their organization, and it varies for between three to six months. And if that's developing a strategy, we will facilitate that process of getting everyone on board, everyone on the same page, figuring out what the goals are, figuring out what the next steps are, and then putting in place a clear line of action. And that's a very narrow answer to a very broad scope of work, but it's a process of facilitating that strategy, not sitting in a dark room being like, hey, this is your strategy. I hope you like it. But at each stage being like, okay, we get the right people in the room. We discuss what the goals could be. We prioritize them and we make those painful trade-offs. What I really try to do with clients, and I think a key part of the process of developing the strategy is to make sure that we're making painful decisions. If a decision doesn't hurt, we're probably not having a strategy at the end of it. It's very easy to, to listen to what all of the stakeholders want and then try to do all of those things. But that's not strategic. That's just wishful thinking. What I try to do is say, okay, the community can only achieve, say, one to three goals in the first phase. What are they going to be? Who are we going to upset? And how are we going to put that roadmap in place? So it's a process all the way through of guiding people, um, building that consensus, educating them, and then making sure at the end of it, whoever's going to be managing this community has a clear plan of action that they understand. Who are they going to approach? What does that newcomer journey look like? All the way through to the most minute kind of levels, but there's a rationale at every single stage so they know what they should be doing. Richard, I have a question. Before we go into what you said about measurements, I'm even more interested in how does it start? You're talking about marketing, the VP of marketing. Like, when did it happen? What happens that someone wakes up in the morning and say, hey, I need a community here and they start building it even before they call you, right? So more about the mind process that 
a position that isn't like a community manager, right? So it's not their title. It's not their job description, probably. But they understand something that makes them go and build it. What is it? What makes the company do that? So I would love to say that they woke up one morning and they just realized that community is fantastic and they need to build it. More often, and interestingly, I'm not sure how much research we've done on this, but more often they hear about another company that has a community. They might attend an event, read a blog post, read a book, um, be sitting on the flight and flick through a business magazine that they picked up at the airport. But at some point, they would have heard about an amazing, successful community. And they will hear about how it can really help an organization scale, how it can provide better support, how it can get people doing things and increasing loyalty and yeah, doing things they never thought they would have done beforehand. So it's usually they've heard about a success story from elsewhere. And this, by the way, is why we really need to be promoting the success stories because more than anything else, that's what helps the community spread. Not hearing about some vague idea of return on investment, but success stories is what makes it happen. So they hear about some idea or they've heard about it from elsewhere, and then they try to do that at their own organization. But they soon realize they haven't done it before, so they try to bring in help. And that's usually where me or someone like me will be invited in to turn that dream into a reality if we do our jobs well. Can we have an example of a success story? We're talking theory, but if you can give us a company you work with and specifically touch upon the metrics by which you show the value of the community to the business. So we're talking about a process and the ending point where you can you know, start seeing the, the results of what you did in the company. Yeah, so um, a good example would be a company called Geotab. G-E-O-T-A-B. So they are a fantastic organization. Um, what they do is put um, trackers in fleets. So if you're managing a fleet for McDonald's or somewhere, you can optimize where your vehicles are, storage, fuel efficiency, all those kind of things. Um, but what they also do is collect a huge amount of data as well. You know, they have better weather than the weather channel. They know where every pothole is, where every how the weather differs by every street, traffic, all those kind of things. Um, but what if you're managing a fleet and you're using this technology, um, you need help using the software for it. You need help um, understanding uh, how best to deploy it in your fleet, what kind of issues, the legal ramifications, all those kinds of things. And so a community can really help. You're often the only fleet manager at your organization. So connecting you with other fleet managers is a massive win. With Geotab, um, I began working with them, I think around this time last year. They had a fantastic online community, but they really wanted to be able to grow their support part of the business. And the challenge is, like most organizations, they have different support levels. They've got small to medium business customers that are, they take up maybe 80% of the time, but they're only responsible for, say, 20% of the profits. I'm making those numbers up, but it's something like that. But then they have also have the massive fleet customers as well that are spending a huge amount of money, but are, need more personal support. So what a community can do for them is really help them scale up their support efforts to the small to medium business customers and let their customer support representatives focus on the big fish. And so the challenges with them is that they had a company that was growing incredibly fast. We know one of the fastest growing organizations in their sector. They've got some investment, but they have to show results quite quickly. So when I began working with them, they knew what they wanted. They'd done some research on the community space but they need a guide. They need someone that's going to take them through that journey. So the first step is to figure out 
What are the metrics that are going to matter? What do we want to move, like I've just explained? So once we know what audience we're targeting, then we know what kind of metrics make sense. We can look at how many people that ask a question get an answer. We can look at what the value of an answer is. So if we know that our customer support team typically spends, say, $5 of time answering every question, and now we're answering hundreds of these questions in the community every single month or every single week, now we can start to figure out what the return on investment of that is. And we can also start looking at how happy are customers? Do they prefer this method of support? Do they like getting a support from someone like themselves that's been through this instead of just someone that works for customer support? So we can start to put together a very clear business case for that and explaining to everyone what this community is. I think a challenge that a lot of community professionals working for organizations face is that one sentence answer about what the community is. Not that big, complex idea of this happy land where everyone talks to each other, but that one sentence business case. And being able to say, hey, this community lets us provide incredible customer support to our small and medium business customers, that's a fantastic win. So the first step is getting everyone aligned at that stage. And then you can start thinking about, okay, what technology do we need to support the things we need to do? What are the different kinds of options? How do we build a proposal out? How do we negotiate those contracts? And then we can start thinking about what motivates this audience to engage and participate? What's going to hook them to change their behavior? Because the key challenge for any community, especially if you're launching one from scratch, is to figure out what's going to get people to visit. What's the trigger? So that means what behavior does your community replace? If you're asking people to do something they've never done before, they're probably never going to find the time to do it. But if you're instead asking them to replace one behavior with another, a behavior where they get better responses, more responses, more empathetic responses, get to connect with other people like themselves at the same time, that's a huge win. And so if you go to um, community.geotab.com, you can actually see the kinds of responses, the speed of responses that people are getting at the moment. So there's a short version of a much longer project that we've had at the moment. But the key stages, I think, are first figuring out what is the value of the, of the community going to be and what is it not going to be? What is the audience that we're targeting and who are we not targeting? Because these trade-offs are really important. What technology best supports that? Then how do we motivate people? How do we get people to visit and stay hooked and engage in that community? And if you can get those parts ironed out, really make those painful decisions at the beginning, it becomes a lot easier to develop that community towards the end. I really relate to the challenge that you mentioned of community managers building a business case, like really knowing how to convert what they're doing, all of their work, all of their value into something that business will understand and specifically like their stakeholders, their managers, how should they talk differently about community building? Like what's the best practices for this? I think the myth is the idea that if you just present the right facts, then people are going to be like, wow, these facts are exactly what we need and I'm convinced. And a lot of people go into these situations trying to convince someone instead of trying to persuade them. And you convince people with facts, you persuade them when you find that emotional hook. You persuade them when you tell a really engaging story. So for example, um, most of us perhaps are convinced that climate change is a very real you know, man-made threat to the planet, but many of us aren't persuaded. We're still doing all the same things that we did beforehand. And so we're convinced, but we're not persuaded. Persuaded is getting someone to take action. 
And if you're going to persuade someone, you need the right story, a very emotive story as well. And the facts are simply the tools that you help to build that story. So if I'm going into a room trying to persuade someone about the value of the community and I need them to take action, I'm not going to tell them this community will help the business. Sure, it does. But I mean, a lot of people that work for a business don't get paid extra if the business makes more money. They know intuitively it helps, but it's not going to persuade them. So I've got to know what that person really cares about and what story makes sense. And some people need a story of, um, of pride. You know, this is what the best companies do. This is what, you know, people like you should be doing. These are the examples. These are the facts. Some people need that kind of story. Some people need a story of fear. If we don't do this first, our competitors are going to do it. These are the facts that support that. Some people need a story about ego. Imagine being on stage and presenting the success of this community to your peers, you know? And you've got to figure out what are the buttons that you need to push to persuade people to do the things you need them to do. And I hate to say this, but very often I found that stories that are about fear are a lot more persuasive than a story is about than stories about hope. And I wish it wasn't, but as someone said to me once, you know, we don't rush to the store to buy vitamins. There's a reason why we do that. People rush to the store for a very specific pain they want to resolve. And so the idea of positioning a community to alleviate pain, you know, um, at the moment, you know, we are terrified of our employees leaving this business and taking their, their knowledge with them. Let's build a community to document that knowledge. Let's build a community to make sure that never happens again. Let's build a community to make sure it's the envy of all of our competitors or the pride of our industry. I mean, these kinds of stories resonate. Now, you need the facts to help build the stories. It has to be a credible story, but you need an emotive story. I found time and time again that if you just present the facts, you know, this is a business case, this is what it's going to cost, this is what we're going to get in return, people either, they either don't believe the facts or they ignore them. But if you tell a persuasive story, that's what connects. Really connect with a persuasive story. And you've got to know that person. And also that person has to like you. It's very hard to persuade someone that you don't have a relationship with. And so quite often the first stage for me is to build a relationship with that person. So I don't try to persuade them. I try to say, hey, we're thinking of doing this thing. Can I get your advice? Can I get your expertise? Can I get your thoughts? And I just listen. And I listen, and I listen, and I listen, and I ask them lots of questions because then they feel listened to and are more likely to be able, they're more likely to be receptive to my persuasive efforts later on. So yeah, understand who, who you're talking to, try and understand what motivates them, build that relationship, and then tell a really freaking persuasive story. So you actually started bringing up some of the psychology aspects and I want to dive into that a little bit. So your specialty, we know, is to help organizations understand the psychology behind the successful communities. And alongside the metrics and the numbers, you also speak a lot in your talks about how the best way to build a successful community and ecosystem is to deliberately cultivate a psychological sense of community. And this is a deliberate and scientific and a process that anyone can master. And I'm curious, what are the steps of doing that? How is a psychology a piece in the a community building part in your eyes? Sure. So psychology, let's talk about motivations rather than psychology. Okay. What we think motivates people to participate in a community and what actually does are very different things. So very often we think people participate in a community. And even when we imagine community, we imagine people gathering around at their local you know, religious venue or local community hall or those kind of places. And 
They want to participate and connect with other people just like themselves. That's probably not the right way of thinking about for most of the communities that are or that we're talking about today. Typically, when people visit a community for the first time, especially online, they're looking for information. That immediate trigger is they want information. And that's great, except the problem is they only visit when they want information. That might be once a day, that might be once a week, or that might be never, ever again if there's no more information they need. And it often leads to communities where most people, they visit once and they never come back and they never participate because they don't need to. There's no psychological trigger. They've seen that community solely as a place where they get information. What I try to do and what others like me try to do is try to provide the full value of community to that member. So if you visit a community, yes, this community can give you amazing information and advice and expertise, but it can also recognize and understand you as an individual. It can also make sure that you feel connected, that you finally feel understood, that you finally feel like you have a place where you belong. And to create that feeling, we've got to create that psychological sense of community. And the elements that we use for that being very well studied and documented, and you can look it up, the um, Academic Science Sense of Community by David McMillan and Chavis. And there are essentially four key components to this. There's some later work that will deviate from this a little bit, but fundamentally, there's four parts. The first is membership, which is the idea that you need to recognize who is or isn't a member of that community. And that's by um, shared background, things that we've done, the language we use, the terms we use, but most importantly, a barrier. What is the barrier that distinguishes an insider from an outsider? Because you can't have insiders without outsiders. And the stronger and more difficult that boundary is, the greater the sense of community that people feel of one another. And so one of the first things you can look at is what is that boundary? How do we maintain that boundary? And also importantly, once people have crossed it, how do we make sure they have the most amazing welcome they possibly can? How can we make sure that when you cross that boundary, you are accepted and appreciated and encouraged and supported and connected with other people just like you who've had the same passions that you have? So that boundary, that sense of membership is the first part. The second part is influence which is the idea that you only continue participating in a community if you feel you can influence that community. The moment you stop feeling like you can influence a group, the moment you start feeling like you don't matter, you don't participate. So how can we create the feeling that every single person feels they can influence that community? We can recognize them in content. We can give people roles within that community. We can give them a sense of autonomy within that community. We can do amazing things to make sure that every single person regardless of their level of skills or ability, feels they can influence a group. Because every single person can. Even if you're joining that community, it's your very first day in that topic. You know what it's like to be new to new in that topic. You know the kinds of questions that someone like you can ask. That's going to help the person that comes after you. And so we want you asking that question, but we want you to know that how valuable these questions are for the next person. Because then you're feeling like you make unique, useful contributions to that community. And if you've been there for years and you know exactly what kinds of things people need when they first join that topic as well, you know what you needed in your first day. So you can start making these kinds of connections. If you're a veteran, there's so many things so that you can contribute. So the key thing is to make sure that every single person feels they can make a unique, useful contribution because that's what keeps people hooked. It's not money. I mean, money can make a difference. It's not tangible rewards. It's feeling like you can make a unique, useful contribution. The third part is what is technically called the integration of needs, but generally the idea that the needs of the member and the community have to align, which is you want to be a part of a group that is going to be successful. 
And the moment you feel like the group isn't, the moment you feel like things aren't taking off or activity begins to drop, activity can plummet because no one wants to associate their identity with it anymore. And so what we try to do when we're building a community is always keep momentum on our side. And a part of that is having challenges and goals that the community can achieve. Even if it's a very small goal, once you've achieved it, you can set a bigger goal and a bigger goal. So having these stepping stones in place help build that sense of momentum. Making sure the community is tackling goals at the right size of that community helps build that sense of momentum. Seeing the validation that the community is growing and is getting bigger helps build that sense of momentum. So we need these kind of things in place. And the final part of it is what we call a shared emotional connection. This is the idea that members feel the same emotions at the same time as one another. This is the idea that you can have off-topic discussions and really get to know one another. This is the idea that you can talk about the kind of things in a community and you won't be judged for it. You're not going to have someone say, hey, this was a beginner level question. Or in the technology space specifically, the worst thing you can do when someone asks a question in the community is say, this question has been asked hundreds of times before. You should have searched before asking the question. Because what you're saying to that member and every newcomer that comes after them is, you better have read every single question that's been posted in this community before you post, and it scares everyone away. So having that psychological safety, make sure it's a welcoming place, make sure that people can be who they are, are critically important. So when we talk about building that sense of community, we're talking about doing very specific things to create a very specific feeling within that community. And what I'd recommend is use a survey called the Sense of Community Index. Um, you can look it up. Use that survey, adapt it for your audience. You can get a benchmark of where you are now. And then you can systematically improve that. That's really interesting. And you're talking about a lot of things that are really, really hard to quantify. How can one manager make sure he's doing progress in these areas? Like, what's the best way for people to know that they're moving forward, achieving this? I think it's true that very often in community, the things that count are really hard to count. I think that is definitely true. But I think with a sense of community, if you, um, going back to what I just said, if you look at the psychological sense of community survey, it's a survey you can send to members and you can validate whether people actually do feel a sense of community today and break down specifically which parts you need to improve upon. So I think that is a really useful tool to be using. The other thing I would recommend is whether it matters, whether you build a, sen a sense of community or not. How do you validate this is a worthwhile thing to be doing? It depends how complex you want to get, but you can look at whether the um, sense of community is connected to higher levels of engagement. You can look at whether sense of community is connected to things like the extra value you want. So when we are working with a client, we establish the goals up front. And the goals are not always a financial goal, but the impact. So if you're working in sales, you might want to see 50 qualified leads from that community. If you're working in customer support, you might want to know what percentage of support is now handled by community as opposed to your, as opposed to your support staff. If you're working in human resources, you might want to look at how many documents or resources have been created and shared by your, your team. So things like that are very measurable and very trackable. What you can't always do is directly convert that into a dollar value. That, that, that's true. It's possible, but it's complex, and we don't usually go into that level of depth. But you can figure out what is the impact this community intends to make, both upon the organization and its audience. And I've found you can usually quantify that. It's not always easy to do, but it's always possible to do. And I think that's the kind of level that we should be at. Richard, I can ask you like a million other questions, but there's one big one, and I think everybody who's listening right now is curious. And 
That is where do you learn and expand your knowledge in this field? As somebody who's been around for a while, what are the resources, the places you go to, to get more knowledge? So for me, I've been working in the field for around over a decade now, and I'm looking for 5% wins, not like the 50% improvement. I'm looking for those 5% wins. And that usually means going into more narrower fields and improving upon each one of them. So I've done courses on habit formation, statistical analyses, um, public speaking, uh, facilitation. I think the more you advance and you progress in your community career, you learn from two other areas. One is um, specialist courses and books on subtopics in that field. The other one is learning from what are the best people doing. One of the things I began doing my blog around two or three years ago, I do in detailed breakdowns on the very top online communities like Microsoft, Autodesk, Fitbit, those kinds of brands. And really looking at what technology they use, how do they set up their staff, their structure, what do their onboarding emails look like. And I found I was learning so much from doing this. I meant it as just an interesting blog post, but I was learning so much from doing this that I kept doing it for myself. So at least once maybe every two or three weeks, I will go into one of the largest online communities and just be begin drilling deep into what they do, what technology they, do they use, how they set it up. Um, I found these kind of things really useful, connecting with the people that run that community, see if I can have 30 minutes of their time. One of the really useful things I found to do, because I travel a lot for work, is whenever I'm in a new city, Seattle or San Francisco, Austin, one of these kind of cities, I look at the mailing list and I segment that mailing list by what location people are in. And I invite everyone that's on that mailing list, you know, who I might recognize. Um, do you want to meet up for coffee and meet up drinks? And I pepper them with as many questions as possible. And it turns what could be, you know, one of client engagement into new connections, new relationships. But I learn so much from every single person. So I think, yeah, going specialist in those kinds of fields, connecting with the top people when I'm in their cities really helps as well. One other thing I would add here is that I found even without a client in those cities, it makes sense to do a tour around once a year. And it's, this might be something I haven't heard too many people doing, but once a year I'll do like a short tour through the USA or Europe, um, go to maybe seven or eight different cities and connect with the people in those fields because they often I might get a client out of it, but the connections and knowledge, it just pays off so many times over. Even if I'm going to a conference in that field, I'll have a list of things that I want to learn, a list of people I want to connect with, and I build my own agenda out of that rather than just using the agenda that is put forward by the conference. So I found those kind of things really, really useful. Um, so yeah, learn from the best, learn from the all the niches that you have to improve upon to get better. Okay, we're waiting for you in Tel Aviv. <laughs> As someone who foresaw the rise of community so ahead of a lot of people, where is this going? Like, where is this world going in five years from now? Where is the community space going to be like? So I think you're flattering me way too much. I've just been along for the ride. Um, I think where it's going is a continuation of the current trends, which is some organizations are going to find more and more value in community, going to invest more in it. I also think we're going to see different kinds of platforms and communities emerging. More companies doing real-life events. I think we're going to find companies building communities on different platforms. We're going to see communities being spread across multiple platforms instead of just one. And I think we're going to see the idea of community as a pretty standard tool, 
but just one tool in the toolbox. I know there's people who say community is the future of business and everything. I'm not one of those folks. I wish I was. I think community is going to be a very useful approach for a lot of organizations to achieve its goals. But we've got to be, we've got to remain realistic about it. We've got to remain focused on the goals of the business, proving that value, getting more support and more and more. Um, can I share just one story really quick? When I got involved in community in the video gaming scene, it's in the competitive video gaming scene, or what we call today as esports. And back then, this was around, you know, 2001, 2002. All of us thought that esports was going to be huge in a couple of years' time. We thought it was going to overtake the Olympics. We thought it was going to be huge. And it didn't quite happen. Um, what happened instead was that over a period of many years, it gradually got bigger and bigger and bigger under the radar. And at times it would be you know, on the front page of the news. Other times it would disappear for years. And I think community is kind of the same where it's going to gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger. And where's esports today? They have sold out events. I mean, it's monumentally huge. It's almost as big as a lot of, of professional sports. I think community is going to get that same level of acceptance, you know, similar to email marketing or one of the other big channels we have. It's going to grow steadily and it's going to get more improvement. It's going to get bigger. It's going to get better. And it's a process of us delivering those results. And I think that's what matters, not falling for the hype, not trying to pretend something isn't, but being clear, being realistic, delivering upon that, asking for more resources, more investment, delivering upon that. And the iterative process is how we make progress in this field. And that's what I think the philosophy we need going forward is. Because I think community is so valuable to so many organizations, and we just need to make sure we're delivering on the promises of a community. Amazing. We are going to do some quick fire questions for the end. We are going to ask you a question and you have exactly one second to breathe and then answer. Okay, yeah. you ready? So the first one, one book that changed your life. Can I pick two? I love that you give each other a glance like, oh, I'm not sure if he's allowed to pick two. From the business side, there's so many, but a book called Positioning. It's by two authors called Al Rees and Jack Trout. A really fantastic book, which is the idea you only get one way to create an impression in someone's mind. The other one, which really had a big impact on me, is called The Six Pillars of Self-Esteem. It's a very old book and some of it isn't quite appropriate today. But the principles of just feeling, I feel when we're young, often we struggle with self-esteem. And that book was a life-changing book. So if, I, if I'm allowed to pick two, I'd pick those two. And he literally picked them up just now. So he's not just he's saying not, He's not <laughs> kidding around here. Okay, next question. Take a big breath. Who is a big inspiration for you right now in the ecosystem and community building world? Um, my favorite guy is a guy called Brian Oblinger. He did community Alteryx uh, and uh, Data Robot. He puts out incredible resources and... Um, yeah, he's not that well known, but he's fantastic. And Seth Godin, who I interned with, I still think is a genius, like a fantastic guy and not specifically in community, but fantastic guy the way he does. Last question. If you could give one tip that you wish you knew when you entered this field to somebody who's just entering it right now, what would it be? It's a bit controversial, but I would say get past the idea that community is a happy, fluffy place that everyone should be engaging happily with one another. And if you want to do this for a business, figure out what a business needs from that community. Be realistic. Don't assume 
that, you know, your boss just doesn't get it because they don't understand the value of community. It's your job to make them get it. It's your job to speak their language, not to get them to speak yours. I think a lot of people, because of the nature of community, are very much in a very happy, happy land place. And I get that. I used to be one of those folks. Um, but you've got to get real. You've got to start understanding that if you want to progress, you've got to understand the business side. You've got to understand people want real value. You can't just pretend that community is value. Simply having a community is value in, in itself. You've got to figure out how to connect the community to the goals of the business. Because if you can't do that, you're not going to rise up very far in this space. I love that. Wow. What a way to close. Richard, thank you so much. This was really insightful. I think for us, getting the insights that you've had just from many, many different stops, you know, different uh, perspectives that you've carried, it's unique. And we are very grateful for your time. Definitely. That was great, Richard. And I want to say thank you for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye, Richard. Bye, Richard.